Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the show, we welcome Patrick Engelman from Lulaco Waiko Hundo. It's a real tongue twister of an event out in Pennsylvania that's been going on for 11 years. This is the 10th edition, as Patrick will describe. Another one of those great events that's been flying a little bit under the radar, unless you lived in that Pennsylvania and mid-Atlantic area where it's on everybody's to-do list. I wanted to get you guys to know this event because it's another one of those great events that's started by someone who just loves the community that they ride in and wanted to highlight it and bring friends. Patrick's done a great job of growing the event and talk to anybody in that region and they'll definitely reference some of the memorable experiences they've had over the years with this event. Before we jump in, I need to thank this week's sponsor, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens and their product AG1 has pioneered the category of functional health. AG1 replaces key health products all in one simple scoop. As I've mentioned before, my daily routine is mixing a scoop of AG1 with some ice, shaking it up and taking it down. What I love about this product is is it replaces key health products with one simple scoop. AG1 combines nine health products working together as one replacing your multivitamin, multimineral, pre and probiotics, immunity support, and more. This means AG1 does more for your body, saves you time and money, and confusion compared to taking multiple unique products. I've admitted it before and I'll admit it again, I'm not the best at covering my nutritional basis, which is why AG1 has been part of my routine for five plus years at this point. With the highest quality ingredients, AG1 is made up of 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source nutrients and manufactured with the strictest quality standards. It's even NSF certified for sport, a robust certification process that involves ingredient and finished batch testing of AG1. AG1 tastes great and feels even better. I know for me, it's just that nutritional guarantee AG1 tastes great and makes me feel even better. If you're interested in checking AG1 out, go check out athleticgreens.com slash the gravel ride. They're going to give podcast listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D as well as five free travel packs with your purchase. Remember that URL is athleticgreens.com slash the gravel ride. With that important business out of the way, let's jump right into my conversation with Patrick. Patrick, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm going to make my attempt at pronouncing the <laughs> event name first, and I'm just going to take my best guess. Okay, try it. Lulaco Waiko Hundo. That's kill. You're killing it for, especially for a West Coaster. Uh, that was perfect. Um, I don't think I could do it fast. It took me. I like trained myself several times prior to hitting record to say that. It's all part of the marketing, right? It's, it's, it's how many times you have to repeat it to say it. And also, it has been shortened to Lulaka uh, just because it's much easier for folks. But it's the Lulaka Waco Hundo. Uh, it's the Luzerne, Lackawanna, and Wyoming counties, and it's 100 miles. Uh, so that's kind of where it started was the three counties that we ride through. And I just kind of pulled from there and started the name. And actually, 
I started the, I got the name, if you want to know this a little bit. Um, I was resting at the top of a long climb and there happened to be carvings of Native Americans, like wood carvings of Native Americans, on, like in someone's driveway. And there were three of them. And part of the genesis of this was I, I looked out over the valley and said, what would they have thought of what I'm seeing right now? And, and kind of thought about them as three separate people and then thinking about their counties like represented at that time and you know, all these other stuff. So that's kind of where the name came from and you know my little inspiration point uh, out somewhere in the middle of nowhere riding my bike. <laughs> so Nice, nice. Well, we're going to get into that a yeah. bit. And it's, uh, is it the 10th year or the 11th year coming up? So it, because of COVID, obviously we know it's the, this is the 11th year. It's the 10th ride. So we, we lost okay. the ride. We lost the ride in there. Gotcha. And from having Dave Pryor on the podcast and from previously listening to Celine talk on podcasts, I'd heard the name on a number of occasions in the context of like, oh, these are the ones we do every year in Pennsylvania. They're just part of what everybody does. And it's the kind of coming together of the community. So we'll get into that. But let's talk first. Where are you in the world? So I'm currently sitting uh, in a town called Wincote, Pennsylvania, which is just in the uh, suburbs of Philadelphia, the northeast suburbs of Philadelphia. Okay. And where's the event? The event starts in Pittston, Pennsylvania, my hometown, uh, which is the northeast, okay. which is the northeast corner of Pennsylvania, uh, not, not just northeast uh, suburbs of Philadelphia. So you're drawing, geographically, you're drawing, it sounds like, from riders in New York, riders in eastern and western PA, Riders in DC, Jersey, maybe can all get to you within two to four hours. Yep. Yeah. Generally, um, we usually say the megalopolis. So, like the Boston of DC uh, or Boston, Boston, and now Northern North Carolina seems to be where it's at, and then Western. And then we have some some folks. Our uh, one of our folks uh, is comes in from Alaska every year. Uh, he's a, he's a local, but he does come in from Alaska every year. It's like one of his trips. Yeah. Nice. Stepping back for a minute, let's just start set the stage for kind of your background as a cyclist. Um, you mentioned where you grew up and and some of the love that you found early on as a child. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up you know like riding like everybody. I'm I'm the youngest of all my cousins, so I got the hand me downs and the hand me downs and the hand me downs. So I I rode anything there was, and that's kind of what we did in my neighborhood. I, like I was very lucky to have lots of friends in my neighborhood, and we just rode and spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, I grew up with just the ba- my backyard is goes into, you know, so, so far when we were kids, there's so many miles of woods and, you know, there's just so much to explore. So I just grew up riding, you know, we were riding mountain bikes on our BMX uh, when we were, you know, little kids. And also um, part of my riding background is, is my, my dad didn't drive uh, for a lot of my life and he didn't uh, for lots of reasons, but where I grew up, there's not a lot of mass transit. Um, So we had a little, we had like a bus like every hour. Um, So I, he rode, he rode or walked. So I rode or walked because I, there's no other way to get around. My mom sometimes worked mid yeah. uh, uh, second shift. So like we just rode all the time. Yeah. What, what was, uh, you know, as you got a little bit older, was there a Pennsylvania cycling scene that started to draw you in or, or are you like many athletes you, you know, cycling as we think of it now really wasn't part of your life until, you know, your twenties or what have you. I, I, w- I was in it pretty young. I mean, I think because because of where I grew up and there was a, a decent um, mountain bike scene uh, growing. I, I, I grew up in high school in the mid 90s and I was very lucky to find uh, a, great, a great local bike shop that kind of took me in as like their like baby brother. Uh, they were all in their 20s and a little older and racing mountain bikes. But I was 
the shop rat who wouldn't go home and, you know, could also kind of hang with them. And that's where it all, where it all kind of came from. So I was riding mountain bikes in high school and, you know, continued on. Uh, and then uh, once I went to college, uh, I became, I became a bike messenger. I went to Temple University in Philly and I became a bike messenger and kind of got in that world while still racing mountain bikes and riding mountain bikes. And um, I've kind of stayed with it, worked in shops and did all the things. <laughs> it's definitely been a part of my life for a long time. Yeah, it's something, you know, it's, you know, people on the West Coast may not know this, but Pennsylvania in general has such a great cycling community. And to your point, I was in school in Washington, D.C. in that early 90s period in college and all the mountain bike racing. A lot of what we did was go up to Pennsylvania to race mountain bikes. It was, mm -hmm. it was great. And so many like just great like community style events where the terrain was awesome but the community was even better. Yeah, we had a lot. We had a lot of that. We were very lucky to have a lot of great events and great places to ride. I grew up not far from Jim Thorpe, which is, you know, any 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 person of our vintage you know, here's Jim Thorpe in the East Coast knows how legendary it was. And you know, uh, Alamucci wasn't is not far from where from me. And like you know, just a bunch of really classic places. But also, like I said, my backyard is pretty amazing. <laughs> so it still is. And then as you as you transition to your kind of professional career, were you still kind of racing mountain bikes once a year? Did you find the road? What was your kind of transition in those those later years? Uh, those later years, I was, so I was uh, teaching actually in Northern Virginia, uh, like we were talking about, and I um, I ride to work. I mean, and I, and I was working, I was working at a shop part-time. I'm a teacher, so it was like make a couple bucks and I had the summer off and I'm just used to being a shop rat. So I was working at City Bikes in DC and kind of, nice. stuck, kind of stuck with it. I've raced cross for a, a little while there. Um, still once in a while, I'll line up on a mountain bike, but I, a lot of my time now, is just kind of riding with friends and, you know, checking out new places to go and, you know, traveling a bit. Um, I also mentioned, I, I helped found the Pennsylvania Interscholastic Cycling League. So it takes a lot of, uh, a lot of my time riding is kind of transitioned into bringing more kids and, and more, the more adults. Uh, I was coaching, coaching the coaches for a long time. Uh, so okay. br bringing a lot of the coaches into it and, you know, kind of instructing that. So stuck with it and, but I've done a bunch of different stuff. Right on. And by the way, just thank you for doing the work with Scholastic Mountain Biking. I think it's great. I mean, obviously here in Northern California, we've got this great Nike scene out here. And yeah. gosh, I wish it existed when when I was growing up. And I yeah. know that it takes a lot of effort from a coaching perspective, from an infrastructure perspective. And it takes someone to just hold up their hand and be willing to put in the work. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, no problem. I'm, 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 it's 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 seriously. I I wrote a long time ago what my dream job would be, and it was teaching mountain biking, and I got to do it. You know, I got I got to do it for you know a few thousand kids and a bunch of coaches. So I, I definitely got to live my dream. So I'm now I step back a little bit to do some more work on this, but I'm still on the board of uh, board of advisors for the Pennsylvania League, and I work a little bit with, with NICA as a whole and do some of that stuff because I I love it. You know, I love, I'm I'm a teacher, so I, love, I obviously love kids, but. I love mountain biking too. And I get to do both, uh, you know, both passions. Yeah. Once. Yeah. You know, it sounds like from, from your description and all the different types of bikes you were riding, having a cyclocross bike, you know, 20 years ago or whenever you did, did the emergence of gravel as we talk about it today, was it just one of those things that you'd already been doing that effectively on those bikes? Uh, yeah, effectively. I mean, I was riding, um, I was riding, we got invited to the, a Rafa ride, uh, and we we rode some of actually where, what uh, an event day prior promotes now called Monkey Night Fight. Um, at the time, he wasn't he wasn't the promoter yet, but we rode some of those trails and some of those uh, places in in Lehigh Valley, 
that were dirt roads and we got to go up all these cool these cool mountains and see all this cool stuff and we were doing it on essentially road bikes uh road bikes with some those giant 25 cc tires do you remember those giant tires <laughs> yeah. yeah so i i lulaka was actually founded on a, a gravel or sorry they can't gravel <laughs> they didn't exist yet it was founded on a 25 cc touring bike uh my indy fab touring bike is what i went out on because it had the most clearance uh to fit the biggest tires and those tires like i said at the time were 25c and then of course i, I had a cross a cross bike and i'm like oh i could take this one out too and uh and, and check it out on, on the cross bike and that definitely helped especially when disc brakes come in and you know a wide range of gearing and those sorts of things but yeah i, I don't i've done it all but the, the the cross bike i'm like this is the best thing ever and now we <laughs> and now we're out where, where we are yeah yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at, you know, thinking about starting the event 11 years ago, you know, the equipment obviously wasn't there. What was the motivation to create the event? And what was the type of terrain that you took the riders on in that first year? Uh, <laughs> the first, So the first year, uh, the, the motivation, I'll ask the, fir- the first part of your question. The motivation was I... I love Northeastern Pennsylvania. I don't happen to live there, but like my, I still call it home. If I say I'm going home, almost all of my friends know I'm going to Northeastern Pennsylvania, so to, to Pittston, to the Scranton area. So I love it so much there, but I and I do. I go back and visit my, my almost my entire family's there. Um, so I go there a lot, and I love the outdoors. I've, I grew up in the outdoors, and I just wanted people to come see it. Uh, my friends here are, you know, they they're suburbanites. They live around around Philly and. You know, they're kind of used to that suburban lifestyle. And I was like, let me take them up to where I'm from. Because I would tell them all these fantastical stories of the rides and the roads and everything else. And I'm like, let's just invite my buddies, you know, like to come up here and go for a ride. Uh, and that's how we got Dave and Celine. You know, they were, they were, the, they were two of the first 18 uh, that came out and tried it. And in that first year, um, I initially built this to be almost like a spring classic. And because the spring classics happen around Easter, I did it for the first year was on, on Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday was near the end of March and in Northeastern Pennsylvania, it snows a bunch, uh, or at least it used to. And, uh, we had snow on the sides of the road and mud and everything else. Uh, and it was, it was chilly. It was a chilly, chilly day. And that course had a blend of road and, and gravel or dirt. Um, there's some single track in there. Uh, we start off the ride still to this day with, with the single track that I grew up on, uh, in my neighborhood. And then we go off onto some of those dirt roads and the, and the course has not changed dramatically, but there were definitely some spots that were like, no, nah, we don't need that anymore. Or I found other roads from being out there and, and, and doing more exploring yeah. and, other, and other riding. So the, the course, there's some parts, this, like I said, are, are still the same and that people expect to find. Like we have, um, we have one waterfall per 33 miles. So we have, uh, like, so those, those waterfalls are, are an important part of the ride and people expect to see them and expect to, to hear them. And so like that stuff has stayed the same. And this year for our, our 10th ride, we're actually going to go back to a little bit of the first route in a couple of places. Uh, so people can see where the first, like first, like one, two or three years went, um, versus what it, what it is now. Plus it changes yeah. up for, for people who just started the last couple of years. It's now going to change up the course for them, and kind of uh, for me, bring a, a you know a nod back to the good old days. Yeah, when you think back to those first few years and you looked around the start line, what kind of bikes were people on? Was it was it road bikes, cross bikes, mountain bikes? Uh, definitely a blend. I mean, like I said, the time cross was huge, and everyone raced cross, and and there were, there were a lot of, a lot of folks were on cross bikes because they just didn't know what to expect. Uh, but I'll, I'll shout out forever. My buddy Tim Wood showed up on a single speed road bike. 
and said, is this okay? And I'm like, I don't think so, <laughs> but you could try it. And I thought he was joking. I thought he was joking. I thought he just had like an extra bike in his car and he brought it over to me thinking it was, cause I warned everybody what was, what was going to happen to them. And, um, cause Lulac and we'll probably get into a little more, but Lulac is 103 miles and almost two vertical, almost two vertical miles of climbing. Uh, so a single speed road bike okay. does not, uh, you know, a track bike in the city does not quite cut it. Um, but there were a few, most, most had curly bars that first year. I don't think there was any, there was one mountain biker, um, but everybody else had some, at least some form of curly bars that were look more like a cross bike than anything. And, um, that had, okay. we had, we had, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, so that first year you brought 18 of your friends and you convinced them to drive a couple hours from Philly to experience what you'd been talking to them about for, yep. for many years, I presume. Yep. Going forward to that second year, did it become a thing where there was a registration and, you know, more a, a proper event in your mind at that point? Yeah, it, it definitely it, it necessitated a little bit. Like that first year, I remember saying to my mom, because she was like, well, where's this thing going to start? I'm like, I don't know, the park down the street and like, I'll get a porta potty and we'll be cool. And like, or people can come to the house and change. And she was like, what you know like and then luckily uh, a brewery that was just starting that was actually a long story short basically they were, they were just starting and this, we were their first event they ever did and i called them I'm like hey can we do this and the, luckily one of the co-founders used to put on ride for the roses in texas and he was like yeah of course no problem and so the second year we're like okay we've got we've got to go to suspended brewing company so we're good on that uh we have all these things so it's just kind of almost like started itself as an event where like I don't have to worry about like putting a porta potty at the park down the street from my mom's house. I could just go to this brewery that has the some of the infrastructure that we need. So it's, amazing, yeah, amazing. So then, what what is you know if we talk if you think about um, the progression over the eleven years, what type of attendance numbers were you looking at, and how did that change like your stress level, the amount of work you had to put in, and and your enthusiasm one way or the other. Yeah, I mean, I'm still psyched about it. I mean, it's 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 some days I'm like, oh man, like uh, this. Sometimes is is a little bit of a monkey on my back, but like, I'm still psyched every day that I get to do this. I'm like, this is this is cool, you know. This yeah. is, this is a lot of fun, and you know, it's it's um you know, it's nice to hear people's stories every time. Every time I run into people, they tell me stories about their rides and some of that stuff. But um, the attendance numbers, I kept it limited because the infrastructure where I where I'm from, and also this is put on by my family and friends. And I don't, I, I was listening to one of, one of your podcasts with like this big professional uh, situation. And like, I'm, I feel it's professional, but it definitely took a while to get there. And, uh, and I always relied on that. And also yeah. I have a, a background in punk rock where it's like, like we didn't invite, it's not that we were, weren't inviting is that it was DIY and we we're trying to keep it as low, low profile as possible. And, you know, that's, that's okay until it starts selling out in a couple minutes. And, and so we kept it like 350 or so for a while, for a few years. And then I bumped it up to yeah. like 500 people. Uh, and I think it was 19 is when I finally bumped it. I'm like, okay, we can take on a few more. I think I got this thing. It took me a little bit of like, okay, we got 300. This is easy. No problem. And then yeah. we bumped it, we bumped it to five and it was like, and then it poured rain and it was 40 degrees. But that's a whole, nother, that's another story for another day. Um, yeah. so, so, so this year we're, we're up again, uh, looking like 657, like, uh, or so, um, and we'll see kind of where, where we get to. So at, over the years, it, it, the stress level of course changes, but you learn a lot. And, you know, if you, you could, you learn and adapt as you go and, and you learn every year and you also find your other mentors. You know, I, I'm lucky enough to have, have mentors in this space, uh, that I'm very close with, uh, uh, 
Dave Pryor, of course, that I mentioned, and and uh, and, and some other folks, uh, Mike Kuhn, who puts who now puts on Grinduro, who put on, used to put on Transylvania Epic, um, you know. So Mike and I are very very close. So like, there's a few uh, folks that are just help help out all the time, you know, with with anything I could bounce off of them. So I'm very very lucky to know some some pretty incredible promoters. So that but that stress level, I've just changed processes, you know, like. I have more information on my website now. And like this year with some of the stuff that we've got going on, like I want to do more intro, like about like this kind of stuff, like the podcast, like who are we? What are we? Cause people hear about this name yeah. and it's promoted and their friends are doing it and they've heard, you know, it's been around and like, who the heck is this person? And I sometimes expect everyone knows the whole story and people are like, yeah, I have no idea. You know, like last year and I went to the, the whole, the race hotel the next, the next morning I got breakfast with some friends and I saw some folks wearing a Lulaka t-shirt. I'm like, Hey, did you guys do the ride yesterday? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, thanks a lot. That's really cool. And they were asking, they were just started telling their story and I started adding up to their, you know, adding on and telling them little bits. And then finally they go, who are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm Pat Engelman. I'm on the, I started the ride and they're like, Holy crap. Like, I didn't know like that was you. And, I, and it was cool, but it was also, I think a failure on my point that like, they didn't know who I was and not that they need to know who, I am. I really care less. It's that the fact that I feel it's so personal to me that I, yeah, I, they should know at least who I am, or I should have at least said hi and thank you. So, yeah, so I think <laughs> it's, you know, it's so interesting as you were talking to me earlier, just saying, you know, um, how you brought this back to your hometown and it starts off on the single track you used to ride as a child. And it was really about showcasing the great terrain where you grew up to your new friends and, you know, family that live couple hours away that's such a like interesting origin story and I, I feel like for me that helps connect me with an event to kind of know why you're putting it there yeah which i which i loved i also i do love some of the information you've got out in the faqs and some of the way it's phrases phrased i'm gonna read one for you i am the best <laughs> racer ever i plan on winning this event what do i get if i win and the, the answer is um, they get a hatchet with their name engraved on it. And there's only two. First two people, the first, they get that and everybody else. Uh, they do get, I, I should have grabbed one, they do get a little finisher's medal. And it's, I, I sometimes call it finisher's medal because that's what people understand. And I I basically call it like an accomplishment medal. And it's like, if you, it's just on the table. When you come in and you check in, it's on the table. And we're like, grab your medal if you want one. And really what it is, is did you start out and you want to do a hundred and you got out there and realized this is ridiculous. And I did, and you did 80 and you're still psyched, grab your medal. Did you do the whole hundred and you like, you feel great. Grab your medal. Did you only make it 30? Cause you got a flat and you couldn't fix it. Now you don't want that medal. Cause you're going to come back next year. Don't, don't take it. And that's your thing. So, and that's yeah. really what it is. It's a, you know, challenge by choice. And you know, do you want to go out there and do it? Great. And you want the medal. Some people hang them up. It's really cool. I see cool displays of all the years we, we have. It's just literally like a, a die cut, uh, metal from a, a local fabricator uh we do different colors every year and people have a whole like collection of them now uh because the first two years we actually had a, a jeweler uh the, f the first year i have one of them that's made of silver uh the first finisher's medal there were like 20 of them and then uh the second one we had a couple we, we were doing the jeweler uh for a couple of years with only 18 and then we would just get them out randomly but now there's just so many people talking it's, people also get angry uh, if they don't get the like the fancy one so we now just everyone yeah. gets their little die color. So as you've taken that journey from 18 to 350 now to 6650 you know 
What kind of logistical challenges has that created for you? I'm always curious because I, I know how much work it takes to put on an event. So I'm curious to kind of extract a few of these details for any would-be event organizers who are kind of thinking about this journey or who are on it on their own. Yeah, um, I, I got to tell you, the, the logistical, the first thing I solved, and, the, uh, and I, I guess not probably the first thing I solved, the biggest impact I feel that I solved was I got a storage locker. And I felt like such a like a big deal. I finally got a storage locker because it was all all the stuff was stored in my mom's basement and in my parents' basement. And like I would have to go up the stairs into downstairs and to turn the corner, and it's like a little small in there for me. And man, that saves so much time to back up a sprinter and dump everything in and dump everything back out. You now, so that was huge. So would be event organizers. Once you get to a certain point, spend the money. Get it, get it. It's so much, so much. Uh, it's, it's such a value to everyone that's involved that you can just go to the, go there, do inventory, do all the things you need to do. But logistics on the ride. And, and, oh, and, and Pat, one, one question: Do you, with your peers, and I know there's like more than a handful of events in PA, and you mentioned being friends with a number of those event organizers. Do you guys share any logistics issue? You know, do you share like we all borrow a stage from one another or whatever yeah. you need? Yeah, anything is up for grabs. I mean, like we have, I, I, I could ask any of them for anything, and and they, and they know the same for me, and and that's and that's for anybody. I mean, like I have friends, uh, you know, I was listening to your podcast the other day. People ask all the time, like, can I borrow a tent? Sure, no problem, because I know I would have loved to have that tent, and it was a big ask, you know, like ten years yeah. ago for me to get a tent for somebody, and now like they're just sitting there most of the year, you know, like come come borrow something, and um, so yeah, we share radios, uh, share those sorts of things. We're actually looking at. Um, getting some of those like spot, not the spot trackers, but the, um, the more like, uh, like satellite phones and having a couple and like starting to grow a selection of those, uh, because I know we're not, we're not Northern California remote, but we're Hills and Valleys remote where like, you can't, yeah. you might be close to a city, but there's no, there's zero communication in some of these places. So, and as we go yeah. further out, the communication is a disaster. So we're, uh, you know, Mike and, and, and Dave and myself and a couple others, we've talked about like kind of starting to develop, grow that uh, infrastructure of those very expensive pieces of equipment to share and share alike. Yeah. Yeah. And I think before I interrupted you, you were going to start talking about like the course and the impact that 600 riders has versus 18. Yeah. So yeah, logistics uh, literally went from the, the back, the, uh, the trunk of my dad's car uh, to, and like the, you know, the, the uh, tailgate of my, of my car. Uh, to now logistics, the number one logistic issue we have is we at mile 54 on top of the almost the highest point on the course, we have a full blown taco stand. Uh, so you get to mile 54 ish, climb this giant hill and there is tacos, uh, for you to, to take. And, um, this year SRAM is sponsoring, is sponsoring that, uh, which is really cool to get them involved. Um, but they're, um, getting water there and getting, food and all the, and then the trash home is always for me. It's like, Oh yeah, we got to take this stuff home and finding those locations and finding cool folks who are willing to be like, yeah, sure. Just hang out in my front yard for the day. Uh, and we've, we've been very lucky to find those people who they want nothing in return. I've tried to bring them beer, you know, I've done all those things and they're like, Oh yeah, cool. Thank you. You know, that's about it. That's all they want. It's case, you know, I bring them a case of beer and say, thank you. And it's all, and it's been awesome to find those people, but finding those people, takes time, you know, and, and, and takes the guts to knock on a door in the middle of nowhere too. So yeah. I, I'm willing yeah. to do, I'm willing to do that, but I've definitely, uh, have been, you know, a little nervous doing that once in a while, but that's what it takes. I mean, so I think the, the biggest thing is, is, um, it's getting water and 
things out there. Plus on our course, we have a, uh, the Susquehanna River runs uh, directly through the middle of it. So we only have two river crossings, uh, two bridges uh, for the entire course. Uh, so if you're on one spot of the course, you've got to get to the other and you've got to get to a, a bridge to get there. So sometimes having uh, support services on one half of the course and they stay on the east side of the river and we go to the west side of the river and stuff like that. Um, and the last one I would say is, is, is course marking. And anyone out there who wants to do this, become a great course marker. And I, I, I would give a shout out to Brian and Nathan uh, and, and, uh, and, to, and, the, and the other folks who do Monkey Knife Fight. Um, they helped me and made me think about approaching this at speed, making a turn and confirming your turn. Right. And so two ahead, one confirmer yeah. is, all, is the way we always go. And, and mo I, I, you can do this course without a computer. And I get that question all the time. Like, I don't have a computer. How do I get around? Just look at the ground. You would. You have to try right. hard to get lost. People do. But you've got to try pretty, pretty hard uh, to get yeah. lost. If you just look at the at the yellow arrows and my directions is our um, look at the arrows. And if you didn't find one, go back to the last one you saw and then follow them again because you, you, can't, yeah. get, you yeah. can't get lost out there. So what's what's our loss number for the last eleven years? Any lost riders out there? Yeah, we have we have one. Uh, <laughs> one he happens to be one of my best buddies, and and he got <laughs> he kind of he, he kind of bailed out a little early, and I was like, go this way and do this thing. And a couple hours later, he calls me. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm standing here. I got, I'm like, tell me what's around you. Tell me street names and everything else. And he's like, I got the. I said, look at the church across the street. See the red door? Yeah. Pull up your right hand and, and then follow that. And you'll get you'll get along the river and you'll be home in like half an hour, ten minutes, yeah, you know, half an hour, fifteen minutes, whatever. Four hours later, he calls me. He's like, I'm like, where are you at? He's like, I got back to the church somehow. I said, Which way did you go? <laughs> he's like, I think I went left, and you told me to go right. And uh, so, yeah, he's he's one of the most most legendary ones. But I, I have uh, we've had a few. Uh, the year that it rained, I, I, I said it, it was. Um, 2019 is legendary for the rain and the weather. Uh, we started off and I said to the group, I said, oh, here's your Roubaix day. You know, here's the day you're going to look like such a hard ass. You're going to you're gonna be George Hencappy covered in mud. This is the day you get to do that. And you get to, and then uh, this was like sprinkling and like mid forties. And by mile 10, it was low forties, high thirties and pouring. And uh, so we got to the first rest stop and, uh, some people were kept alive by some hot pizza we moved out there and, and a couple of propane heaters that we were able to get. Um, and then I, a lot of people on that day uh, were great. And they took, and I luckily had myself and a couple others who were like, this is the way home from here. Don't, don't deviate from that. And most people made it. Uh, most people did, did make it, but there's nice. still some, you know, some folks who uh, didn't quite, didn't quite make it. They may have made the left when I told them to make the right. And then spent a long day out there in the cold. <laughs> Quick aside, the last time I saw Celine was in Bentonville, Arkansas, pre-riding the Big Sugar course. It poured with rain. It was similarly, similarly cold. Yeah. And I remember we we hit this brewery and there was a fire. And she had a complete change of clothes to continue on. And my dumb ass had nothing. Mm -hmm. So I had to pull the plug and take the broom wagon home because I was freezing and not prepared at all celine's a pro for a reason and i hope and i hope she i hope she hears this she's a pro for a reason and for a lot for lots of them she's she's you know one of the strongest riders i think on the planet uh hands down i mean she but against anybody at any age except for following a gps she can't do that to save her life <laughs> she knows we all know that 
but her and Dave and another friend of ours named Dave on that ride that was so cold and miserable, they went to a, a diner in the, in one of the small towns and sat and ate, ate a bunch of soup and hung out and just waited out and then looked at the weather app. And I got a message and uh, one of the star Wars had just come out and Dave said, if we watch star Wars in Tonkanic and we were late, can you come pick us up? And I was like, why watch, why are you going to watch star Wars? He's like, well, if we watch star Wars, the weather rain will be over. <laughs> so that's a pro her and Dave are like that. Like look at the weather app and then look at the theater across the street and say, man, three hours of star Wars. We can fit, we can finish this thing. And that, and they, <laughs> and they, and they totally could. Um, Celine is just a, I just love a, it. I I'm love it. Give more Celine love here for one more second. She is the only female winner of Lulaka ever, meaning that she has won every year. She has tried to win. She has won. So there's been zero other amazing first female finishers outside of Celine here. So come get it. Some, amazing. Come she's, she's had some competitors, but usually, um, you know, that's, uh, that, that lasts for only a little while. And it's just, you know, knowledge of the area and also her being who she is. Yeah. Yeah. I want to get into the course a little bit, but one more question. Um, I just was curious about, you know, we hear talk about the impact of these events on the community. And when you talk about 600 riders coming in, does the community there, like, are you, are you talking to the local city council? Are you filling up the hotels? Is, is everybody stoked because you've got 600 plus, you know, partners and families coming into town and spending money in the community. Has it become a thing? Yeah. So, so I, I was smiling because this year, this year is the first year, not that it hasn't been, been a thing for years. Like, you know, the, the brewery loves it. The hotels, we sell at the hotels all the time, uh, sell at the state park for people who want to camp, um, all those things, but I've kept it away from the community outside of like getting in the newspaper or getting on TV or whatever. Um, until this year and this year, uh, the town of Pittston, like where I grew up and you know, near and dear to me has done a lot of work, uh, coming back, you know, we're a coal mining town that got smoked after coal mining left and, you know, had a, a tough time in the seventies and eighties and, and, and into part of the nineties. And now it's coming back and it's like one of those places, it looks like Bentonville because it's a small town that like all these new things are popping up every day. And you're like, Oh my God, they got a new Mexican place now. They got like this, this, we got just got the other day, this little, uh, used to be a bank like kiosk, like for like a drive up, and it just became a tiny um, cafe, where it's now a drive up instead of the bank. It's now a drive up cafe. So like we're getting like right. this, this this dope stuff in town. So I I reached out to town and said, hey, every year for the last couple of years, I bring like around a thousand people to your town, and you, you don't even know I exist. And they called me within an hour, and we've been working together since. And so this year, yeah. with the, um, the the downtown Pittston partnership, um, the Saturday before the ride. Uh, we're starting in downtown Pittston for the first time ever. Uh, we've always started at, at a fire hall just outside of town. And um, uh, when I met with them, I'm like, yeah, the fire hall, the fire hall, the fire hall. Like, how do we start downtown? And uh, so we're starting downtown for the first time. A little bit nervous with this. You know, it's, it's, it's new for me. Uh, but we're also doing an outdoors and uh, an arts expo uh, the day before. And we've never done that. I've always wanted okay. something like that. And uh, so working with town and like town recognizes the impact of, of cycling. And, and I always tell people, my vision for my hometown is that it becomes a place like, like Bend, uh, Oregon, where it was an environment, you know, a town that was ravaged by the industry and then came back and it's an environment. It's a, it's a place where everyone enjoys the environment. And the economy is based on, on tourism and bringing people in to ride, to hunt, to ATV, to ski, to do all the things that they can do in the place that we're from. And Northeastern PA has literally, you can kayak and canoe on the river, you can ski, you can hunt, you can ride ATV trails, you can do all sorts of different stuff up there. And, and there's no reason why we don't do that. <clears throat> and that's like a life mission for me is to get to make that economy up there, a tourism-based economy where people are coming there, people are 
buying second homes and everything else. And people go to the Poconos and it's right there next to the Poconos. Yeah. Like, how can we get people to go there more and recreate on their weekends and recreate all the time and spend money in the town I grew up in? Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. Shifting gears a little bit into yeah. the course. I know you you now have several different lengths of the course. Yeah. The hundo being the kind of the big kahuna, the primary one, but you, I, presumably you want to be inclusive and give newer riders the opportunity to kind of get out there and experience a little bit of what it has to offer. Yeah. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's talk about the Hundy and like, what's the terrain like in there if I'm, if I'm coming from out of state and I don't, I've never put rubber on, on a trail in Pennsylvania. What do I need to know in my head? You have to know that you, you should ride the bike that you feel comfortable on. And we say that all the time. And we've had mountain bikes, we've had fat bikes, we've had tandems, we've had everything. Um, and you can you can ride Lulaka on a road bike. I will say that over and over again. You can ride Lulaka on a on a road bike. It's hella uncomfortable to do so, but you could. Um, I like big tires, hydro, hydraulic disc brakes, and lots of gears. And that's a good way for me to spend my day. But if you want to murder yourself on a 52 chain ring, uh, you have at it. I could care less. But, but I know how I enjoy my day. So um, there's a mix of road, uh, a, ro- a mix of road, road and, and as we call them up there, dirt roads or gravel roads. Um, and the paved parts of the roads are some of the most abusive parts of the road. It's northeastern Pennsylvania after the after the thaw. And there are manhole covers the size. Of, or sorry, there are, there are potholes the size of me, uh, and they're everywhere. And and there are you know the roads are not. Are, it's a rural area, and the roads are not necessarily well maintained. They do their best, but it's a really hard environment to to maintain roads on. So I, I all, all the paved parts. I try to explain to people like I, I did a video last year where because everyone was like, oh, it's, it's a road ride, it's a road ride, and I, and I rode one of the roads. Just set my camera down. I was like, "Do you want this? Is your road?" Just so we're clear, it might look like a paved road on on the map, and it, I will call it a paved road, but it's blown to pieces, and like you've got to be on it. Um, and the rest of it. So we have a, a very clay. Uh, if you're on the, on the gravel scale, I think they did like a gravel like a candy scale, like from like the tiniest yeah. up to like a stop or whatever. Um, we're in the solidly in the like the pea gravel with clay underneath. Um, so it definitely gets their, like their lines, especially when it's wet. It's kind of cool. Cause you end up with like a train track and just follow the train track. You could, um, but it's definitely a, a bunch of clay with some pea gravel kind of in there. Um, some rocks and roots. Um, the first section of single track, there's two sections of single track at the beginning. Um, and neither of them are anything that you w- couldn't ride a cross bike on or couldn't. I mean, I grew up being on, so they're nothing crazy. And they're also only, two miles max of that whole section so people always like want to pick a bike for that and i'm like you're better off running it if you're gonna if you're so nervous about it and we have we have great photos of people carrying their bikes while other people are just bombing it you know so there's there's a blend of that and depending on the on the weather it could be a total mud pit uh or it just dries a bone you just fly through it so it's um the whole the whole course overall i think you're a great modern gravel bike is fantastic because like i said it's at the end, when you're climbing a lot of those last couple of hills, you're going to want that larger chain ring out back. You're going to really want that. And none of the, there's a couple parts on the road that you can move. You know, they use it for, uh, the locals use it for a uh, time trial course. Um, so you can definitely move on it and it's rolling. But man, I love some, having me some gears because there's some big, steep hills and people are like, what the heck did he do to us? So some wide. Yeah, I was looking at the, I was looking at the elevation course profile on ride with GPS. And it looks mm-hmm. like, you know, within the first call it 10 miles, you start a pretty substantial 
climb. That's the sort of predominant feature of the beginning half of the course. But even after you crest that, you're still doing a bunch of up and down, which is what my memory of Pennsylvania is all about. A lot of, a lot of up and downs. And then you, you kind of do dip down back to the similar elevation as the start. And then you've got another big climb, you know, in the 60 to 70 mile range that you still have to tackle before what looks like a ripping downhill, maybe the last 10 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, la- the last 10 is fun. And then you get into a, then you get onto the river. And, and some people think that's going to be the easiest part. We have the, the river levee uh, trail that we use. And then that, and then that, that, that side of town. Um, but you get on that river and sometimes that wind is just blowing off the river and people get so disappointed because <laughs> they're like, they're looking at their GPS and they're like, man, that last like bit is totally flat. And they think they're going to fly. And then unfortunately, sometimes the, the wind is against them and they're having a tough time. But yeah, that last little bit is, is a nice, you rip down uh, an old railroad bed. Uh, that's, that's, you know, it's a, it's a trail now. So it's, it's been taken care of. Um, you do at, <laughs> I think it might be the only ride around mile 87, 89, you climb a set of stairs. You have to climb a set of stairs to get on. And there's a little bike, bike roller next to it. But you got to climb a set of stairs to get onto the last rail trail. Um, but yeah, we have, those are, those are fun when people realize that they have to go up to the steps. It's like, what are you, are you kidding me? This is like mile 87 or so last rest stops over. <laughs> and now I've got to climb a giant set of stairs. So it happens. And then when they get back to cross the finish line, what type of experience do you have waiting for them? Uh, welcome, welcome them all back. Just being so happy they're home, uh, and, and giving them all we can, uh, to show them how, how happy we are to see them back. And they, they turn in their, their timing chip and, uh, then they're handed pizza and beer as fast as possible. Uh, and that's that's what we, we've gone to. Pandemic kind of brought us to pizza uh, because post-pandemic, like, like I said, it's my family and my family and friends and my family, they're getting old. Uh, so I want to keep them as COVID safe as possible. So we started uh, with pizza from someone who used to babysit me when I was a kid, uh, our, our, a friend of our family named Nora. And she makes this amazing like deep dish pizza and people love it. I mean, we, we used to do like a sit down dinner and that kind of changed. And then post COVID people love just like tailgating in the parking lot and eating yeah. pizza. And it's really, it's kind of changed the vibe, which is cool. Like the, the tailgate vibe people love. Cause we used to like come in and we'd sit and dinner and like you sit there and you're, you eat this giant pasta and all kinds of stuff my mom would make and people would bring in. And then you just sit there the rest of the day, you know, like what the heck's happened to me? We're now like the pizza and beer uh, experience is a little bit more uh, like tailgate style, which is cool. People just hang out and tell stories and we encourage people to, Tell us all, all they can about the day and um, people filter in and out. They wait for their buddies they, and they just have a good time. So it's definitely yeah. totally, totally laid back. It's nothing, you know, like I've been to some of, the, some of the biggest events there are. And it's not like you go here and you hang out here. And this is your, here is your thing that we made 30,000 of. And here's the thing you go and you walk away and you never see them again. It's like, no, like I'm going to bring you a beer over and we're going to talk about what you just did. You know, you're going to share, you know, man, that ride was crazy. This thing was this or whatever. It's just, just fun. That's awesome. What, what is sort of the time range like from first person to last person to complete the course? Um, <laughs> man, it's tough because I think we, the full, so here's, here's the, here's the deep dark secret of Lulaka. It'd be much better if I just called the Lulaka 83. Cause that's what a lot of people do. They won't tell you they did the 83 because there's a cutoff that they can do. So a lot of them do cut it off a little early when they get out there and like, this is just bonkers. Why am I still doing this? And there's a, uh, there's a decision point where we have a, a great, you may have seen some of the pictures on, on Instagram of just like, it's a party. It's our unofficial rest stop, but it's our, our local trail group is like, Hey, do you really want to do this? 
or would you like a shot? And you go that way downhill. And there's a lot of people that take that, <laughs> take that shot and, and that's turn, a hard choice <laughs> and turn an 83 and, 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 and go and go for home instead of doing the hundred. There's plenty to do the hundred. So to, to tell you that answer, people start rolling in. So we have now we, with post COVID, we've also gone to a rolling start. So you could start anytime between eight and 10. Um, so with that, it's a little tough to say, but on, time on course, we're probably looking at seven hours. Most people are, are around there, uh, if yeah. for the hundred, so okay. seven, seven hours or so up to like nine hours, um, folks are out there. Uh, we've had people push it to the 10 hour mark. Uh, my role is dark, is dark, just be in by dark. Uh, well, we usually yeah. have a pretty good beat on who's out there by the end. We've, we've got tracking, uh, tracking technology and then also lots of eyeballs all over the course and support. So we've got a pretty good eye on who's where, um, but dark is our cutoff and we haven't had dark in a while. So, which is, you know, knock on wood, we haven't had dark yeah. in a few years now. Yeah, it seems like riders are usually smart enough on a rolling start that if they feel like they're going to be have, uh, be a long time out there, they'll roll up on the earlier side rather than taking off at 10. That's me. I'm a, you know, like yeah. unpaved, unpaved this year, I was psyched to finish, to be a tw- have a 12-hour average. I And I, I we left early, knowing we were cold, and but we knew we were going to have those max. I'd rather have those extra two hours of sunlight than sleep for that extra little bit because I, I would be nervous. Yeah the whole time if I didn't have it. Cause I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I keep moving, you know, like plucking along a hundred miles and 12 miles an hour for the day isn't bad, but I, uh, but I'm not, you know, going 18, 20 all day. So I want to make sure I have the maximum time and also see my friends at the end too. see my, see my Celine's uh, this year. Uh, speaking of her again, I got to drag her into the finish of unpaved, which was, we, uh, the unpaved finishes on a long, a long rail trail. And she knows from many of our rides that, she just sits behind me and I'm a giant wind sail and she was just, you know, cruising, yeah. in, cruising in behind me. So it was, it was a good time. That's great. Are you still in April for the event? Yeah. April, April 23rd this year. Yeah. So we, okay. We, and has, has registration opened already? Yep. Registration, registration is open. I think there's like three or so, three or so hundred people in there right now. Um, and um, actually uh, tomorrow, uh, Trek uh, is our title sponsor for this year and they're going to start a pretty serious, uh, blitz on marketing for uh, starting tomorrow. Uh, so that's, uh, they're going to do some, some stuff with, um, you know, just, just marketing through their, their channels and also within their stores and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been cool to have a, have a partner like them come in. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's like a testament to the reputation that the event must've garnered over the last 11 years that track would come in and, and, and want to help you out. And, and you mentioned SRAM earlier, so it's great to here you're getting some industry support. Yeah, yeah, it's been, it's been great. People, people have been awesome for years. We've got, we've had a lot of great sponsors uh, over the year, and, and and this year, hearing from hearing from Trek was like, wait, who who who's this? <laughs> you know, like, you, do you have the right number? Uh, and you know, and, but it but it is. It's it's definitely it's it's humbling, uh, but also but also kind of justifies all the work we've done over the years to to get someone like like Trek to, you know, get their eyeballs on on the, our little our little bike ride. Yeah, for sure. Well, this was awesome, Pat. I really enjoyed the conversation. I always enjoy thinking about Pennsylvania as a cycling destination because, as I said, I had some so many great experiences there when I was younger yeah. on the mountain bike. And I, I recognize what a beautiful and underappreciated is not the right word, but it's such a it's such a big state with a lot of really cool outdoor activities that d- doesn't get the shine like <laughs> you know a 
Colorado might, for example. And yeah, it's such a great California. area. And so <laughs> you're allowed to say California. It's okay. Uh, we know we get a little bit of shine. We get yeah. a little bit of shine. <laughs> yeah. But I, I appreciate, I appreciate you saying that because it, it's true. And, and I love, I love Colorado. I love California, Utah, Idaho, all those places. And they get, they've got the big mountains and it's magic. It's the, the majesty. Yeah. And, you know, you look out on this Vista and, you know, Pennsylvania has got these tough little coal towns and they're just surrounded by the same majesty. You just got to look differently. Right. And that's, and that's really yeah. what it is. Like I go to Colorado, I'm, I'm in total awe. I'm, I'm like, I sh- shivers when I see it or Northern California or Idaho. And I'm like, Oh my God. But then I also do the same thing back home, you know, and, and, and it is possible. So I, I really, I'm really happy you, you, you mentioned that. Like the East coast, the East coast does have some cool stuff. You know, you don't have to necessarily yeah. be out West all the time. You know, and I just love that, that life goal of yours to just shine a little bit of light on this area and perhaps play a little part in the community, understanding the value of the outdoors. And when you throw up that outdoor flag and do things like you're doing with this event, you start to get that draw and you get the people from Boston, you get the people from DC coming in there and it becomes sort of a habitual part of where they want to vacation and where they want to spend money, which is so important to these communities that, you know, their, their earlier livelihoods are not available anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, and we have it in States. We have so much, so much land and so many places to go. So I'm really excited to see what happens. I may not see it all, but I'm, I'm happy to see it to, to start to hopefully start this off and help the other people who also up there working on this. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, I'll make sure all the details are in the show notes so people know how to find you. Hopefully this will serve as a little bit of a guide to athletes who are curious about your origin story and make sure they recognize you and give you the high five you deserve <laughs> for all this effort. Well, thanks, Craig. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to have a, a more of a, a national audience on this. I mean, we, we've been on some local podcasts, and uh, but it's nice to, you know, you're doing this for not just California, not just not just the big guys, you know, and, and I love the big guys and I, I love hearing their stories and uh, and also learning a lot from all of them. And it's also funny to hear them like, oh, yeah, we've been doing this for 10 years or we've done this for seven years or whatever. I'm like, man, you know, like I've been doing this for a long time, but I've also kept it quiet kind of on, on purpose you know, to a certain extent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, so- that's the way you get sort of you talk about authentic growth. And I think that's where that's where these really well run, well thought out events come from, where you're not just like. I want to go big from day one. I want to have a thousand person event when you have no business and are, are understanding on how to pull that off. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, from the outside, I feel like you've done it right, Pat, and, and kudos to you for that. I appreciate it, Craig. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good evening. You too. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride podcast. Big thanks to Patrick for joining the show and talking about this great event out there in Pennsylvania. Also, a shout out to our friends at Athletic Greens and AG1 for their support of the show. If you're interested in checking out their products, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash thegravelride and you'll get that free one-year, supri- free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. If you're interested in connecting with me, please join The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. Or if you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride or leave us ratings and reviews. Reviews are surprisingly important in podcast discovery, so it helps me connect with other gravel cyclists from around the world. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.